the book of Genesis, we saw the aftermath of the sin of Cain and how it continued to have a ripple effect through through the generations of of the moral depravity of Cain and and how all the things that he did, he was teaching all of them to do these things also. And, And the story started to unfold as to how Cain and Seth was kind of the replacement for Abel to kind of go down different roads. Um, Abel and Abel was was the faithful one, and he was the one that was continuing in the ways of the Lord, and, and Seth, like him, was doing that same thing. Well, we got to where you saw Cain was kind of the embodiment of evil in, in the world at that time. And one thing I didn't mention last week, and I think it's important, is that these lifestyle choices by Cain and by Seth were reflected through their families for generations. The lifestyle choices we make today do the same things. No pressure, right? So we need to think about the way that we act and we behave and we do things around our children. We all know what Proverbs 22, 6 says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But, but have you guys ever thought about that in the negative? Cain's children were raised in the way that Cain thought they should be. And it was not good. And you can look around, you can see what's going on in the world and see how some people are raising their children. And it's, it's, they're not learning from it either. They're learning a lot of negative stuff that, they're, that their parents are teaching them. So what we do as parents has generational impacts. And we need to understand that. We teach, they learn. And it's good or bad. Again, no pressure, parents. Our text for today is more about the lineage of Seth. And it's, it's mostly genealogy. There's also some great points that we're going to pull from this. In, in Adam's image is the first one. Really, really super long lives that these people lived. And relief. So if you would, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading all of chapter 5. It's not like a super chapter, but we will be reading the whole thing. Starts off with, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When, Adam, when God created he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named, he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived 
after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel lived 65 years, he followed Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and after, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he had fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Amen. You may be seated. A few months ago in Awana, we were kind of looking at the, we were looking at the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible. Um, in our Awana program, we started off with Adam and Eve and kind of went all the way through to Christ in just big chunks. But we were going through this and we were discussing Adam and Eve, and one of the kids said, well, it doesn't really matter because Adam's in heaven anyways. So I said, is he? And the kids were all sitting there, like, stammering, going, well, well, well yeah, I mean, well, well he, he is, right? I mean, well, and they just started going back and forth. The hilarious part was I even threw Mrs. Tingle for a loop. We make assumptions about biblical facts, and we do it without studying a lot of times. We do it without research, and we do it without knowledge. We just kind of assume things or we think things and, and we look at them and go, well, this is, I mean, I would think he is, so why wouldn't you? See, my, my job here as a pastor is to help lead you back to Scripture to seek the truth. We want to know why the Bible says what it says and how it says what it says. We want to do that in context. The, the Bible really never says anything about Adam um, other than he's the reason that man fell into sin. We don't need or try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. And if we do, we better have a really good explanation for doing it. My, my point was not to be mean to the kid that, that made this comment, but 
again, we make a lot of un, untruthful biblical claims that we just assume or, or think that, that is true because we've heard it somewhere. Remember a few weeks ago how I talked about how many people have only read select passages in the Bible? And yet, these are the ones that tell you all what the Bible says. But they're just telling you all these things that are there. Um, it's one of the reasons why we do Thursday night Bible studies, because we dig deeper into Scripture. By the way, Miss um, Smith, we're going to Hebrews next Thursday. So... Um, we're the book on Thursday nights. If you guys want to join us, I, I, I did get a bunch of books for it. So, um, but it's, it's why we go through those deeper Bible studies because we want to know what scripture actually says. And it's, it's hard to do that in this type of a setting. I can talk about things, but it's better if we can sit down and discuss and go through word for word and go through things. It's another reason why I teach systematically. I go through books in the Bible. I don't pick and choose the stuff. That we do. I think it's very important to be able to um, to understand context of thing that we're reading. Okay. Um, the other thing is. I don't want to be the one who picks and chooses what I like to talk about. I think it's important that we talk about what God has for us, not, not what Troy has for us. The other thing is that I want us to learn and grow. I, I want us to be like Bereans, and I want us to, to, to dig deep into these things. Don't take my word for it. Go back and, if I read something, go back and read it. But I said true. I'm not perfect. I'm, I could be wrong on things. Every one of us could be wrong on things. I can teach the word. I can sit up here and I can preach Christ. I can do that every single week and that's not a problem. What I cannot do is I cannot walk or have your relationship with Christ for you. You have to do that. And in 35 minutes a week, do you guys realize that the vast majority of Christians in the world today spend 35 minutes or so, some even faster than that, listening what the guy up front says about Christ, and that's how they have their relationship. If, if I had a friend, if I had a friend, like, let's say Sarah here. Sarah, let me tell you about my friend Kate behind you. And I talk to you about Kate for 35 minutes every week. Are you having a relationship with Kate? No. You're listening to me talk about Kate for 35 minutes. That's not a relationship with Kate. That's listening to somebody else talk about their relationship with Kate. We need to understand that our relationship is ours. And you know what, guys? That means that we have to read God's word. We have to be in prayer with God. We have to do the things that we're supposed to do so that we have those relationships. Let me get back to Adam. This section of text here may be the best look that we have as to whether or not Adam is in heaven, okay? Verse 3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. As we talked about last week, we see the division of, of the lineage happening between Seth. Cain's in the land of God and, and continuing to build 
a city of generational sin. Seth is with his family, Adam and Eve. Seth is still with his family, and, and he's walking and following the ways of the Lord. Okay? It, our, our text from last week, if you remember, said that Seth was kind of the replacement for Abel, which, if you remember from the, the, the murder of Abel, um, Seth, or Abel, Abel was doing the right things and giving the fat offerings and, and, and doing what he was supposed to be doing in front of the Lord, and it made Cain mad, so he killed him. What we're talking about here, and what our text is very clear in saying, is that Adam's image and Adam's likeness was carried on through Seth. It was not carried on through Cain. So we get a pretty good glimpse as to the, the, the lineage of, of Adam even after he had the curse of being thrown out of the garden. Adam continued to serve the Lord. Um, what I want you guys to understand, too, and we talked about this before when we were talking about creation, is, is that made in his image was not just physical like, I look like that guy. I look like my dad. David looks a lot like me when I was David's age. But it was also a spiritual likeness. It was a spiritual image that was handed down. You guys, you guys see that in your own children. You especially see it in other people's children. What we pour into our children, they example. We see Cain in his generational debauchery, and we see Seth in his lineage obedience to God. And here's the thing we always need to remember is day and it was it was very it's very enlightening. There's people out there who believe, well, my dad did this, so this is the way I have to be. Or my my mom did this, so this is just the way that I am. And people use those is for they use it for drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all kinds of different generational things that were handed down. The thing that we need to always understand, guys, and this is very important, is that Jesus Christ came to do away with generational curses. Okay? He gave you an alternative way to live. Adam we can get just from this text was leading his children in the Lord, at least the ones that were still there. This is a major problem I see in families. And I need you guys to understand this. Parents, it's our job, it's our job to raise our children that, that we see is the best way that God has provided us to do it. It is not our job to produce the outcome. Do you guys understand that? So I see so many people, and I've come from a lot of churches where these parents, they, they will do everything that they can to raise perfect little Christian children. 
And when they have one or two that seem to go their, their own way or do something different than what they have for them, they see their children as failures. The amount of counseling that I've area alone is staggering. It, it, it's probably the thing that I've counseled most people, most fathers especially, on. And I've been that overbearing, overprotective, obnoxious parent. And I've seen parents who ruin relationships with their kids because their kids don't end up exactly the way that they, shot, they, they thought that they should. Something I really hope that we understand here in this made in his image section is that we need to stop overthinking it all. I want you to understand Cain and Abel were both raised by the same parents. They were both raised in the same, the same household. I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that Adam didn't sit there and go, well, these are the rules for you, Cain, and these are the rules for you, Abel. That's not how that goes. Children are not machines where we just type in the data and if we do everything perfect, they're going to end up like perfect little Christian children. And they'll all be in a little row. They'll all be doing their things that we're supposed to be doing. Our job as parents is basically the same as it is as witnesses to people about Jesus Christ. We're to share the gospel with our kids. We're to be an example to our kids to the best of our ability. And the most important one, and I need us to not ever miss this one because this is the one right here that most We need to example grace beyond measure with our children the way that Christ did. Our, our mission to raise perfect little children, sometimes we miss we, we miss the fact, and actually, how many of you guys heard that saying? Children are to be seen and not heard, right? We were all, all the older people are like, yeah, that was uh. So, we need to not, that we're raising things, this may shock some of the parents in here. This, we are raising things with feelings, with hearts, and with minds. They think on their own. They feel on their own, and they have their own emotions. And sometimes we try and squash those because we just need you to shut up and listen. Right? Your children may look at things differently than you do. My, my oldest son is a flip opposite of me. T totally. 180 degree difference than me. I'm, I'm like, live life in the fast lane, let's go, let's go, let's go. He's like, whoa, slow down. We can't cross the street till that little green thing comes on. We got to go, dude. There's no cars. He don't care. He will wait there until he dies, until the little green man shows up. We're all different, even your children. And they all have brains. They all have feelings. Those, those of you with multiple children know this even more because they all have different personalities. Blessed with seven of them, and all seven of them are, are completely different. Now, everybody knows that we did everything the first one, right? 
we, we did everything we, we did. I mean, we, the pacifier hit the ground, boom, picked up, sanitized. We needed the, the last kid. I think we were like dumping Cheerios on the floor, like whatever, whatever. doesn't matter. We, we spend most of the, the time molding and shaping this first one in our own image because, well, we have the time. We can do that. Once little rugrats start showing up, it's, it's harder because, well, I, I got to deal with, you know, three people or four people or, for me, seven. The thing that we don't understand is that, really, we end up growing more as parents, because we end up learning how to deal with all these little reactions that these kids have and all the things that they're going through, right? Cain was the firstborn child, and he crashed under the expectations of him. He, we, we kind of read the story last week a little bit where Cain kind of threw in the towel of, well, I'm never going to be able to live up to this standard, so I'm done. And he just went off on his own. And I can tell you, that's the counseling that I mostly deal with, is children who are like, I can't ever live up to my dad's standards or my mom's standards, and I'm, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try it. And they, they move off. I actually have an appointment to meet with a family right now about that. And it's, it's sad to me because the, the, the parents come to me and they're like, this is going on, this is what's happening. And they don't realize that the 99% of the counseling I do is them because the, what they're doing to their children. We just need to be aware that our desire to, to raise perfect children sometimes can go too far and actually cause problems. We, we teach the God of right and wrong, but we also teach the God of grace and forgiveness. So that, that's, that was kind of a long intro, to, or long part of the in his image part. Let's go on to long lives. If you noticed, as we went through the text, these people lived a really, really, really long time, right? In fact, the 10 patriarchs um, from Adam to Noah averaged 912 years old. We excluded Enoch here because he was just taken by God um, at 365. But after the flood, we see a decrease in life expectancy. Noah himself, was, um, Noah himself lived to be 950 years old. And by the time we get to Abraham, um, we're at about 100 and when we get to Moses, we're at 120. So we're, we're from 969 with Methuselah to 120 years. Do I need to switch these mics? Okay, turn this one on. Turn it on. Hey, there we go. Is that better? Can anybody hear me? Hello. All right. So here's a graph of showing the lives of these men and how they overlap. Some of these ages, um, some of these ages you can look at. Can you guys even see those? 
pretty small. People at home can probably see them. So you start off with Adam there at 800, and it just kind of goes down. You'll see as you get down into after the flood, um, all, all the lifespans were really just shortened. Some people say that these are just symbolic ages and they're, they're not really real. Um, but there's actually extra biblical accounts of, of these, these ages uh, from what's called the Sumerian Kings List. And there's also other, other things. I'll get into it a little bit more in a little bit later here. But these ages and people as well are, are real. And it's, it's, it's actually they, the, the, Samaritan King, the Sumerian Kings list actually documents both pre, uh, pre-flood longevity and post-flood declines. And they don't have any purpose to do that because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a Christian or even a Jewish type thing. So just like the creation account, what we see happening a lot is we see modern science attempting to explain this away as fairy tales or symbolic. And why, why is this important? It's important because there's a very specific genealogy here. The numbers, as we see in the graphs, they line up with Scripture. And the events that we read about, they're real. So like creation, if, if people can start discrediting the timeline or they can start making you think, well, that's not really how that happened, or, well, you're just it's kind of a story, um, basically they can just discredit the entirety of the Bible. As I said with creation, the more that they investigate these things, though, the more that they begin to prove them wrong. Um, the more, basically, what happens, the more they find out that those people did exist. They did exist when it says that they did. And they start, you guys, when we were going through, I don't even know if I got into this with you, when we were doing creation stuff, there's a whole lot of, in some of the stories, they have what are called tells. I think I went through this in one of the books we were doing. I think it was in Acts. They have tells, which are, basically cities that were built on top of cities on top of cities on top of cities and now these things are like mountains but as they continue to dig down they find the historical evidence that goes all the way back to some of these stories that you find in the bible it just continues to prove it right um so how did the pre-flood people live so long compared to the post-flood people and I did some research on, on a few different sites, both Christian and non-Christian. So let's, let's take a look at this. I, I went to Answers in Genesis is one. So basically what they're saying is the, the fossil record reveals that prior to the flood, most of the earth appeared to be from a tropical, um, of a tropical environment. Okay, Following the flood... There was clearly an environmental change resulting in an ice age that basically covered about 30%, mostly of the northern hemisphere of the world, okay? So this together with other changes following the flood could have adversely affected uh, lifespans. And there's so many other factors that get in. I I can't possibly get into them all. Um, 
a couple of good starts to your research if you'd like to go down this path, and we'll go over a couple of them quickly, is genetic bottlenecking or uh, physiological determinants. The, the, the funny thing is, Answers in Genesis, when you go to their page, they said, so why did Methuselah die so young? He's 969 years old. And the, the way that they say this is, if you look at it, most of the substance of our body really does not continue to get older during our life. A great many of our body parts are constantly repairing or replacing themselves. The epidural, epidermal cells that cover the entire surface of our skin, for example, example, never get older than one month. New cells are continually produced by cell division deep in the epidermis, while the older ones continually slough off at the surface. Similarly, the cells lining our intestines completely replace themselves every four days. Sarah's watching me very intently right now. Doc's in the house. She's checking this out. Our red blood cells are entirely replaced about every 90 days. Our white blood cells are replaced about every week. It is believed that little or nothing in our body is more than about 10 years old. Thus, thanks to cell turnover and replacement, most of our organs in our body of a 90-year-old man are perhaps no older than those of a child. And indeed, you might go like, well, then, how does this happen? How do we look like me? Because I, like, I should look like one of my kids, right? Well, part of the answer may be that certain parts of the body don't replace or repair themselves. Um, one of the things, like when you have a heart attack, the, the heart muscle cells, for example, fail to multiply repair, or, or replace themselves after birth. They, they will grow, they'll increase in size, but they don't, they don't, they don't fix themselves. This is why a disrupt, any disruption in blood supply to the heart muscle can, uh, during a heart attack, lead, can lead to permanent death or, or whatever of that part of the heart, okay? So most nerve cells um, of our brain, including those of our eye and inner ear, um, also fail to multiply or repair themselves. So that's why when we tell you guys, you, especially you kids, quit killing your brain cells with that, there's a reason. You don't get them back. They don't repair themselves. From, from the time of our birth to the end of our life, we lose thousands of nerve cells a minute from our central nervous system, and we can never replace them. As we get older, this causes progressive loss to our ability to hear and see and smell and taste. It just, it, it happens. Now, a mutation of any change in the sequence of DNA, um, all, all known mutations cause a loss of that information. So the rate at which these type of mutations occur per generation um, Basically, we inherit different parts from our parents. Those things are handed down. There's mutations that happen. We lose parts of, of that DNA. And so it's conceivable in the many generations between Adam and Moses 
that a large number of mutations would have been present and would have caused some of that, that to happen, okay? You also get into this, this thing called genetic bottlenecks, or, or people call them population bottlenecks. And this happens when a significant proportion of a population dies or becomes isolated. So you, you see that in the flood of Noah, um, when the human population was reduced to eight people. You also see it when the, you had this mass dispersion at the Tower of Babel, okay? You're taking a lot of the genetic code and dispersing it all over the place. So these events resulted in a major reduction in genetic variety. So people ask, well, how come these people are Asian over here and they look like that? How come? Well, that's, that's a lot of how some of that happened. Although Noah lived 950 years, his father Lamech only lived 777 years. Granted, we don't know if Lamech died from old age or fell down and cracked his skull. We have no idea how these things happen. In addition, we don't, now, we don't know how long Noah's wife lived. But Noah's son, Shem, only lived 600 years, considering that uh, the, it was the longest recorded lifespan of someone born after the flood was Eber at 464 years, it would appear that both mutations and genetic bottlenecks had severe effects on aging and lifespan after the flood. So here's, here's where I went for like the non-Christian version of this. I went to rational wiki because those are the smart ones. It's not just Wikipedia. It's Wikipedia for rational people, okay? Their answer to refute the longevity is brilliant. I mean, they probably thought so because they're rational. They basically said, well, the Bible says in Genesis 6-3 that man's life shall be 120 years. So obviously... Noah and other, lived, other people lived longer, so the entire Bible's a lie, is basically their whole premise for disputing this. Far and away, the most likely explanation, they say, is that it's really just a simple fairy tale, and it didn't happen. It's just a story. Then why do you quote a story to make your argument? Anyway, however... They came up with some other suggestions. You guys who are believers actually might find these to be funny. They said, free will enables any individual to defy God's commands. And the reduction of human lifespan is no exception. So I can just free will myself to live forever. God, I'm not going to die. Because I have a choice. I have a choice that's literally in here. They also say that sin and sinful behavior causes aging. Oh, well, and we weren't meant to live forever. So, but they admit this doesn't stand up to statistical analysis because, well, was Methuselah less sinful than Moses? I mean, they both sinned, so how could that be? 
And then an environmental change that gradually lowered the lifespan, that may have had something to do. The, the, the brilliant come up with not so brilliant examples of how it didn't happen. And they don't do it by using science, but by using the Bible that they don't understand or obviously comprehend against itself. The, the entire argument is straw man and it's baseless, at least answers in Genesis. And I cut out, guys, I cut out a lot to make it fit into our teaching today. Answers in Genesis uses a ton of science to explain why all of these things happen and how they happen and how we can look back and go, wow, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Oh, and by the way, we're using fossil records to dig this stuff up, and, and we're using layers so that we can tell how these things all happened. Unfortunately, the other part that the, the um, rational wiki people have is, is that, again, there is Babylonian, Greek, Roman, Indian and Chinese writings about extremely long lives in ancestry that happened after a great flood. So it, it may have come down from the Bible, but you, I find it odd that people who aren't believers try and dismiss the longevity of life noted in the Bible by using one verse out of context instead of actually using science. The other problem that they have is they're actually using that, that verse completely against what the actual text. So they reference a site. I don't remember what it was. I, I forgot to write it down. They reference a site that they pulled information from, and they said this is what the Bible says. Well, the site that they said actually says that verse is not, the 120 years is not referring to the longevity of man's life, but more importantly, the timing of the actual flood. God was saying, in 120 years, I'm wiping it out. It had nothing to do with you're not going to live more than 120 years. But context is everything, and it's simply lost on those who are trying to disprove Scripture. Let me quickly get to my last point, which is relief. Some of you guys may not see this as relief, but Lamech, um, Lamech had lived 182 years, and he fathered a son and called his name Noah. And he said, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. We all, as people, may not look at relief as the total destruction of the world by a flood. But what they were looking for was they were looking for relief from the pain of the curse of Adam. As I said, Seth's line handed down the word of God. And they knew why they had pain of, of working the ground. And they, they knew why they had this painful toil of their hands. They understood that because it was handed down to them. Lamech may not have known what was going to happen, but 
somehow God had told him that Noah was going to be the relief that they were looking for. We, we look back, especially today at our sin-filled world, and we thank God that he promised not to do it again, right? Because I, I can tell you, I don't, it, I don't know how bad it was then for God to just go, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm starting over. You guys, get on a boat. The rest of you are gone. I don't know how bad the world was, but I look around the world today and go, I mean, I, I could see why. I, I could see why he would want to do that. Let me, let me finish with this. God sent us his son so that we could have a, a relationship directly with him. We all, every single one of us, the Bible says that we were made in his image, God's image. And, and he wants us to not only walk and talk and act like him, but to teach that to our children and, and represent to our children like Seth did, the ways of the Lord. Those, this is, this is important too. Those that we, and we, we talked about this when we were talking about evangelism before. Those that we walk, even our children, those that we walk and talk to and, and pour into and do all the things that, 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 that we think is the best thing to do, they may never give their lives to Christ. It may happen. They may do it 40 years from now. They may do it 60 years from now. It may have absolutely nothing to do with you. It may be that one little nugget that you put in their mind that 70 years they're on their deathbed. They remembered that and they give their lives to Christ right then and there. You don't know. We don't know. We don't know how that all works and it's way above my pay grade. What, what I do know is that God commands us to be images of him to our children. And that's the good and the graceful. And our kids know, your kids know, you mess up. Don't, don't blow it off. Man up to it, own up to it, confess it, and ask for forgiveness of them. We're not above that. We shouldn't be above that. It may be hard, and, and there's thorns and there's thistles in, in the work that we do, even with our family. God just says, stay focused on me, and, and we'll deal with all the stuff together. We'll handle all these things together. God deals with the floods. God deals with the hearts. We just have our simple job, which is to raise them the best way that we can in the way of the Lord. And that's really what our whole function is as parents. Let's stand up. We'll pray.